most of the clients that are coming into your your drop-in probably going to use a different term. They're probably not going to identify as sex workers. They might say, I'm hustling. I'm making, co- I'm doing, you know, pop, whatever. And uh, wait, I, well, making coin, which I like. Um, but what popping what? Oh, popping pussy. Wait, does popping pussy mean selling pussy? I mean, I have I been misunderstanding it? these rap lyrics all this time. I don't know. I've definitely <laughs> have heard it used, and so I just want to. It might have been a one off, but I've sure. definitely heard it used. But first, a word from our sponsors. The Man Whore Podcast is sponsored by Beducated.com, the masterclass platform to perfect your techniques, whether you're working on penis massage or anal orgasms. Use promo code MANHOR to get 40% off their annual membership locked in for life at Beducated.com. That's Beducated, B-E-D-U-C-A-T-E-D.com, promo code MANHOR. Are you ready for the Unleashed Tour, where shamelessness, sexiness, and laughter collide in a hilarious orgy of fun, discovery, and sex edutainment? Embark on a captivating nationwide journey with the Shameless Sex Podcast and an electrifying ensemble of sex educators and sex-positive entertainers as they bring you an unforgettably titillating live experience. Be a part of mesmerizing, entertaining, boundary-pushing acts, shameless sex style. Ever heard of the Slurpee stick shift? Want to learn how to bury your face in her? How about some dirty talk improv or brat taming 101? Hmm. Get ready for nonstop laughter as our charismatic hosts and entertainers weave humor into the fabric of this liberating celebration of sexual diversity and freedom. Engage in interactive segments, Q&A sessions, and a chance to connect with like-minded individuals in an inclusive and empowering environment. Listen up, Portland, Chicago, Seattle, we're coming to you. For more information and to get your tickets right now, go to shamelesssex.com and be part of a night that will be fun, educational, sexy, hilarious, and shamelessly unforgettable. Seats are filling up fast, so don't miss out on the most unforgettable show of the year. Now let's get to the show. Welcome to the Man Whore Podcast. Ciao, buongiorno. Hey, did you know my name is Projeta, like the island? Hey, everybody, this is Billy Presida, and you are listening to the Narcissist Survival, I mean, sorry, the Man Whore Podcast. Sometimes I mix up my projects. Hi, everybody, what's up? Welcome to the show. This week on the pod, I've got on sex work advocate and uh, quick twitch Twitter personality, Kate Diadamo. Seriously, one time I was watching a sex trafficking hearing. I was streaming it online, and like Kate was kind of like front and center in the uh, in the audience behind people, and just her her left hand just pa pow pa pow pa pow pa pow pa pow pa pow pa pow. It was fascinating. I was like, I could watch that for this whole thing. But she's great, and I am excited to finally have her on the show. Tell you a little bit more about the finally part of that in in a little bit. Um, it's my, my Italy trip is ending, uh, <laughs> two and a half days earlier than expected. Actually, I gotta keep this, this intro tight. I gotta keep it tight. Cause uh, I gotta go catch this flight. So long as my dad hasn't canceled my ticket. Hey, who knows? So I'm going to give you like three things on Italy. Fucking Doug. Um, one did stop in this cathedral in Assisi. Assisi is like in the province of Umbria. 
And there's this, I think it's called the San Rufino Cathedral, or it might be the Assisi Cathedral, I'm not sure, but it's this 1500s cathedral in Assisi, dedicated to Mary, and it's a big, beautiful church, um, this big, beautiful cathedral. You go in, there's all these just gorgeous murals and artwork and statues, and inside the 1500s cathedral, though, they built around a smaller church, like a tiny church from the fourth fucking century. The fourth century it is humbling and beautiful to stand in front of such history to like kind of reach out and touch something and just be like, whoa, this has been here. This has been around since before they even figured out when Easter was going to be. They built this before Christianity decided, like, ah, where do we stand on the kid fucking? You know, like, really old. And I thought that was pretty cool. So if you're ever in the region of Assisi, got to go to that cathedral. Holy shit, what a find. Um, two, the food. Mm, molte bene. Uh, your, <laughs> your picky eater homeboy here tried so many things. Sardines might be on the table. Uh, TBD. I had a pasta mancini with some black truffle on it that I was like, I don't need to know the ingredients breakdown. I'm just going to put it in my face. And oh, look, I like it. I know that's not impressive to hear from a 33-year-old man, but as longtime listeners know, I have a, a, a long-time contentious relationship with food. I had this black Angus prosciutto last night at dinner alone because my father, whoa, okay, hey, we're not talking about that right now, but it was it just like melted on my fucking tongue. And like, also everyone's eating ice cream, like always, it's awesome. Like any hour of the day you walk around, you see people eating ice cream or you see a place where you can get ice cream. And it makes you think like, yeah, I do want some gelato al chocolato. And the third thing is, uh, they're really into the Thai massage here. Like all the massage joints, it's Thai massage and Thai massage. Oh my, if I didn't know that they don't do happy endings, I would have totally thought they get that forearm really right in there. Um, I've never really had an arm rub against my shaft that many times without asking me how much for a squirt squirt. So it was ooh, um, arousing, very relaxing. I kept it appropriate. I didn't proposition her or nothing like that. I, I knew it wasn't you know, an extras type of place. Cause I came in and she's on the phone with the guy and like, he's very clearly trying to ask if they do extras. Cause she keeps just saying, no, we just do massage solo relaxante. No, no. And she's making faces like, no, <laughs> like, Oh God, what is he asking for? But yeah, but yeah, a uh, Thai massage, a fan. Although when I, when I was searching just massage in the area for my last hotel of the night, uh, th th one of the top three Google Maps results was a sex worker website who offers erotic massage. And I was, it was called like Tantra something. And I was like, this is on Google Maps? Yo, Europe is dope. I didn't get a happy ending. I still tipped 50%. So, you know, the Italy part of my trip to Italy with my father, spec fucking-tacular. The father part of the uh, my trip to Italy with my father, it's for it's gonna be for another episode. Because I really want to get uh, to Kate Diadamo, everybody, and to my flight on time. Uh, but before I do, I just want to give a quick shout out to Jonathan Kolb. What's up, man? It's time for your fan whore appreciation moment. Thank you for supporting the Man Whore Podcast on Patreon, and thank you for being the inspiration for Colby Jack Cheese. 
You're doing great work. You were much appreciated. You're up in my top three cheeses with like smoked mozzarella and, you know, American cheese. I am still (laughs) a cultureless American at times. You know, something that happened here in Italy was uh, artists had like patrons, like patrons who would support their lifestyles and give them places to sleep and food to eat and wine to drink and money for supplies and money for inspiration and money for prostitutes to be inspiration and and occasionally would actually pay for the artwork, right? Well, you know, today we have that in the form of Patreon and you can be one of my patrons. Consider me your slutty ass Michelangelo. So you can become a member of Fanhorn Nation and support the podcast that you love at patreon.com slash podcast. Again, become a member for as little as $2 a month. And I did the conversion. That's less than two euro a month. It's a steal. Support your favorite slutcaster at patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash podcast, or download the Patreon app and you can find me over there. And now for my guest this week, Kate Diadamo. Uh, Kate does great work around sex work advocacy and community organizing and harm reduction. I've been following her on Twitter a very long time, and I reached out to her a few years back. I was like, hey, you know, you want to do the pod? Love what you're doing. And, you know, her initial response was, have you done sex work? And I was a little bit more combative and defensive at, at the time. So instead of just giving her a straight answer and be like, yes, I've done this and I've done this and I've done this. I was like, hmm, why does that matter? And, you know, ultimately she was just like, look, I don't, I don't really like the name of your show. I think it's appropriating the word whore from whores. And frankly, I don't want to see my name next to the word whore. So I'm going to politely decline. And I was like, all right, fair enough. I did ask her again to do the show when I was planning a, a trip down to her region of the country. And this time she was like, you know what? Yeah, I'm in. I'm like, all right. But gosh, I'm definitely going to ask you about that. So (laughs) we do discuss who can use the word whore. But we also discuss, you know, finding community both in sex work and in queerness and how to fucking talk to each other. Okay, folks, I got to pack up. I got to get going. I got to get the fuck back stateside. I got one little ad for you. And then we're going to go chat with Kate Diadamo. The Man Whore Podcast is sponsored by Beducated, the masterclass site for making others or yourself come. Well, they do focus on other things besides, you know, making folks come. But you get the idea. This is an insanely useful website. I've used it myself to up my sexual techniques. We're all trying to burst out of quarantine. We're all getting comfortable touching and fucking and sucking again. And you know what? Some of us might be a little bit rusty, and that is okay. Some of us may want to burst back out onto the dating marketplace with some new marketable skills, so to speak. And Beducated.com is the best place to do it. I love their video courses using real sex educators, not just some voiceover and a diagram. They got real sex educators, oftentimes using real models, oftentimes using nude models so you can really see how to put these techniques to use. And Beducated.com, they are back offering a great deal to Fanhorn Nation, 40% off their annual membership. That brings the cost of the annual membership down to $9.99 a month, and that price is locked in for life. You gain access to their entire library of all their video courses and modules. 
and resources and articles. And you get all that for just $9.99 a month with the annual membership, but only, only if you use promo code MANHOR at checkout. Oh, and by the way, if you already have a monthly membership at Beducated.com, okay, if you already signed up in the past for the monthly and you want to enjoy switching to the annual membership and get that 40% off locked in for life, uh, they will honor the promo code MANHOR, but you do have to email them to let them know. That's just a little postscript that I got from uh, from Viviana over there, okay? So if you want to take advantage of the deal, but you got to go from monthly to annual, shoot them an email, tell them the Manhor podcast sent you, they will hook you up. Up your sex and dating game today at Beducated, B-E-D-U-C-A-T-E-D.com and use promo code Manhor. Now let's get to the show. Who are, what were your great resources like when you were like a ba- baby hoe? <laughs> um, definitely folks, people I could talk to and have honest conversations with. Um, there was some local people who were just, you know, reaching out to not be isolated. And you know how it is. You sit around and you just like have the random conversations. You have the funny conversations. You talk about the client like, I cannot believe what I got, just got asked to do. Mm-hmm. Um, you have the like frustrating stories and all of those things were often woven in there. Or, you know, I I love to just ask people questions. I love to talk to people. It's actually one of my favorite parts of in-person work mm-hmm. is just being like, I'm going to ask really invasive questions and be really excited about it. And I just Welcome used to. Welcome to my job. Yeah, exactly. Um, about it. And so just talking to people about like, you know, what do you do? Just let me, can I just pick your brain about how you started that can i buy your lunch yeah um and just ask you some questions about like what your process looks like i i think it's so just fun and interesting to see what people say about themselves Mm -hmm. and you know being in those spaces being in sex worker spaces is such a space of it's exciting it's joyful it's fun Mm -hmm. and i think one of the things that was a, a a really lucky about working in like a major metropolitan area is there's always more clients and there's always a bigger fish. Yeah. I was blessed with not feeling heavy competition and having that allow, having that abundance, um, and especially having a space of abundance and camaraderie in a really formative time of, I was young. I was, mm-hmm. I was pretty young. And so forming your ideas about yourself and about money and how you move in the world independently and having that, be so wrapped up in like collective femme queer abundance and liberation it made even the things that on paper were really really bad it it situated everything in a context of something that was not just beautiful but so i didn't realize how special it was you know, and starting off with something new, especially starting off with sex work is going to be very difficult and scary. But once you get into that safe place and community that you just described, sounds like things just feel a little calmer, more relaxed. But before you get into that space, seems to be like the scariest part, you've decided to do this work, you don't know what you're doing, you don't know anybody. And it's like, how do you first find that community? And I also imagine it's a little different now versus then. So if you think you can compare contrast like how maybe you did it versus how someone might do it today yeah that i think one of the things that scares me the most about the narratives like yeah the narratives of like all sex work is violence all you know that having to hear that all the time and having to in or 
not having to, but internalizing and, and ingesting that garbage. I think it's harmful for a, a variety of different reasons, but I think probably the most harmful is that there's so many people and, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to speak from the eye on this. Going into a space where you don't think that there are ways to stay safe means you don't even try sometimes. Mm -hmm. And so like looking back and being like, Oh my God, how, how am I alive? <laughs> that is just magical sometimes thinking about taking these risks and not knowing that you actually did not have to. Yeah. That's really scary. And, and I think one of the reasons why I'm so passionate about harm reduction and talk about harm reduction so much is I just want to be like, no, there's shit you can do. You could totally do things yeah. just to feel a little safer. You can prepare. You don't have to just go in every single time, like, you know, making the sign of the cross and being like, well, I got my money and I'm not dead. So I did everything right. Right. And it doesn't have to be like that. And so I think finding community, you know, it's a strange journey for everyone. Sure. Um, and, and mine was weird in finding folks and actually being able to like name an experience. Um, and, and having kind of the, the revelations that I did around there being community, around this being a thing, that was a path that was very in-person and very specific to that time and that mm -hmm. moment and that space. Um, kind of just bumping into people and it happened, they happened to be in that work and, or your friend, you happen to know a friend does that? Is it that type of a um, in-person connect? Cause today there's Telegram groups and Discord servers and yeah. all that. Right? So it's like in forum boards. And I know there were forum boards like, you know, 10, 15 years ago, but totally. I mean, today but even it's then, different. like to find the forum board, you had to know how to get there. Sure. And you weren't running across the word sex work on a regular basis. Right. And, and also, and that was for a variety of different reasons. Like sex work is still a really political term. Like mm -hmm. a lot of the spaces that I work in, I say like, I'm going to train you and I'm going to use the word sex work. I'm going to use people who trade sex. I'm going to use, you know, the sex trades. Most of the clients that are coming into your, your drop in probably going to use a different term. They're probably not going to identify as sex workers. They might say, I'm hustling. I'm making, I'm doing, you know, pop, whatever. And uh, wait, I, well, making coin, which I like. Um, but what popping? What? Oh, popping pussy. Wait, does popping pussy mean selling pussy? I mean, I have I been misunderstanding it? these rap lyrics all this time. I don't know. I've definitely <laughs> have heard it used, and so I just want to like different. It might have been a one off, but I've sure. definitely heard it used. Um, and especially in you know a specific context, and. There's all of the different terms that people use. And so even the term of sex work and someone identifying as a sex mm -hmm. worker, that is still a pretty political thing. And novel. Yeah. yeah. And, and in, you know, a lot of people don't identify that way. And so making sure that you're using the language and in a way to connect to people, that's the most important thing. Like it's especially when you're dealing one-on-one -on -one with folks, you know, using the language that, that reflects and respects who you are and who they are, most important thing in the world. And even back then with the message boards, like you had to know something. And now I don't know what it's like, like <laughs> in the same way. I have guesses and I've talked to people, obviously, and I, I hear from folks a lot who reach out. But yeah, there is, it's a, it's a very different thing. And it, you know what it reminded me of? It, it, or reminds me of, it reminds me so much of being queer. Like, I remember growing up and being in, you know, middle school and high school and then being like, I guess I'm bi, I'm bi-curious. I don't know if people say bi-curious anymore. <laughs> and so I think that, you know, for a lot of folks, 
And for a lot of younger folks, like they have, there's an accessibility that is really new and, and really exciting in terms of just being able to connect other people, find language for what's going on, find understanding for what's going on. I think that's the other part is like, you know, similar to growing up and being gay, you have something inside you that you can't quite, you may or may not be able to put a name to. And it doesn't look like Will and Grace, mm-hmm. and it doesn't feel like Will and Grace, especially because Will and Grace was two yeah. gay dudes. And and you don't have a name or a space or a context for it. It's just a feeling. Yeah. Until you get the language or meet the person who makes it real. I remember the first time I met someone who's like, someone who was non-monogamous in the flesh, in the real world. I was at a bar. And it was like, oh, like that thing that I felt but didn't have any language. I hadn't read Ethical Slut yet or anything like that. Mm-hmm. But it was like, oh, that's that's the thing. And you're not like some filthy pervert. You're like a mom with kids and a husband and like everything's fine and you work. And oh, so I'm not broken. Yeah. This is, this is a valid way to live life if that's how I want to do it. Totally. And I think, you know, I think there's still a lot of that or at least, you know, there was a lot of that with sex work of being like, it's it's this thing. It's this thing that I I don't have a full understanding of of consent and participation and you know the fact that like all work under capitalism is extractive and violent and mm. this is a form of that and this is survival and this is part of the legacy of this this survival mechanism for communities and you don't have any of that it's it's this thing that happens mm-hmm. and I hope now that that is becoming less and less true for queer kids, for, you know, sex workers, where there is a context where you're able to name your experience, peace out, understand your experience, understand your relationship to it, be safer in the process, find community in the process. Mm-hmm. I hope that that is what is happening. Um, and I sense that that is what's happening. Um, and also like the industry's changing. It's right. and changes so fast. Um, and people come in and, and go out. And one of the things about – one of the reasons why sex work is there is because it's so low barrier. It's so low threshold mm. um, that you can do it without having any of that. And and so I'm, I'm fascinated by the way that people's participation is changing um, and what that feels like, especially as the circumstances around us are just shifting in such a constant way. Yeah. What well, was like what and how did you find some of that language that – brought that sense of peace for you uh, around your sexual desires? Well, first and foremost, I'm a big reader. I love it. And I love reading people's stories. I love talking to people. And so I, I think it's just been, yeah, it's been people and a lot of books. Um, was there like a particular person in your life who was like, oh, you're like, like uh, you ever see Fun, um, fun Home? Oh, I haven't seen it, but I know. But well, yeah. you know the song, the the, the Ring of Keys. Yeah, I haven't heard the song. No, you ever heard? Oh, it's a, oh, it's a song where this little <laughs> girl. I forget. If she, I think she's just saying maybe in a store and like this like like dikey UPS type like delivery woman comes in, is like entering the delivering a package, but she has this big <laughs> ring of keys, and it's a song. <laughs> ring of keys like it's just this ode to the ring of keys and she's oh. connecting to that and being like you're like me because of those keys oh yes yeah i definitely okay actually and, the then, most... and then after i leave you have to go to spotify and listen to this song oh absolutely <laughs> um so actually i will say 
the most formative moment, specifically around my understanding of the sex industry, did come from a book. And it came from a book. So, you know, I had a period trying to be normal, had a lot of normal friends. And one of them had just read this book and she loved it. Mm. And it was called Female Chauvinist Pigs. Wait, wait, who, um, um. Ariel Levy was the author. And I'll never forget that book because I read it. You know, sex work can make you reanalyze a lot of the narratives you have around a lot of different things. And one of them for, at least for myself, was about, you know, the relationship to the body, the relationship to beauty, the relationship to sexuality. And, you know, growing up queer, I grew up, I was a fat kid. I had a lot of um, alienation, a lot of self-hatred, a lot of fear, a lot of um, really internal stuff and and that I had I'd still carried. And I remember reading this book and the entire book, spoiler alert for folks that haven't read it, don't read it, is like it starts off and it's mostly just like shitting a lot on the women and girls gone wild. Okay. And I remember there's even a part in the book where she says the, and I should have seen this and been like, what? And she says, um, uh, you know, I don't hate strippers. Some of my friends are strippers. And that should have been like, anytime you hear that <laughs> sentence, you're like, oh no. Um, but I read, <laughs> I read, I ended up reading the entire book, but I, I remember there was a point in the book. I don't know how far into it. And, and I went into the book with all of my internalized shit and all of, all of my internalized misogyny, all of my internalized frustration with jealousy towards women that felt beautiful or looked like they felt beautiful. Mm-hmm. And, you know, sure, a lot of them had conventional attractiveness and I have no idea what their internal monologue was, but I was really just, I had so much jealousy that was manifesting in, frustration and anger towards women they looked like they felt beautiful mm-hmm. and you know some of that was through sexuality um and and being really outwardly sexual um, but i had a lot of resentment towards that because i had so much just fostered jealousy did that include towards sex workers oh sure right. i yeah i you know and i was i was should we go through some old tweets of yours? Gonna- <laughs> oh, no, no, no. I was like, no, this is back when I was like 20. Um, and, and you know, was working through my own experiences around a lot of those things and not having words for them, not having anything. But a lot of this like very second wave feminist shit, mm-hmm. which, you know, it gets even worse when all of a sudden you start to – you're uh, put in a position to engage in some of these behaviors and mm-hmm. still having those narratives underneath – and, and, you know, that turns into so much self-hatred. And I remember reading this book. And at some point in the book, she's talking about this woman in Girls Gone Wild and just being terrible about her. And she says that she's getting her, this woman is getting her PhD, but she's still in Girls, Girls Gone Wild doing this. And I remember ha- just having this moment of, if I trust this woman enough to know that she's getting a PhD and I trust her in all of these other aspects to make these decisions. Why is this one different? And why do I think she's being forced into something that, that she doesn't want to do? Why can't I actually give her the same respect for these other things that you're telling me about her? Mm. And it was that specific story that 
I remember just, you know, it was a light switch. It was a light bulb that came on. And, and I finished the book and walked away just recognizing how much I had in reading this book participated in, in the shaming, even if it was just in my head and if, yeah. even if it was just between me and, and this physical book that I was participating in this shaming. I finished the book really realizing that that was so much about me and my own bullshit mm. that I was projecting onto other people. And that was deeply cruel. And, and that was actually, I would say one of the, one of the most like, you know, there's discovering community, there's discovering harm reduction, there's finding language, there's finding stories of collective solidarity and fighting back against violence and criminalization and in sex worker solidarity. There's all that that came ahead of it. But I consider that moment of just having a realization of like, oh, I hate her because I'm jealous. Mm -hmm. And, and I think without that realization, it would have been a lot harder for me to lean into community Mm-hmm. And to lean into just actually recognizing how much was my own projections and how much that was that was keeping me from something really important. I gave the book back and I was like, this is the worst thing I've ever read. <laughs> um, and it's it's the most second wave thing that I think I've ever read. And I was like, I find this horrible. I I find this so offensive. Mm-hmm. And especially the person that gave it to me was like, well, this is my belief. And, and as soon as, and after that, that I feel, I, you know, lost some friends. And is that now, is that not a belief that to, that friends can exist and disagree on? Um, I mean, I don't know. I know that if you really hold deeply, actually, you know what? I'm going to walk back this answer. Okay. I think there needs to be an understanding of where each person is coming from. Mm. And so I would say, yeah, like, you know, I I talk about sex work all the time. If you ask me about my day, I'm probably going to, like, talk about something related to sex work. I am going to be very – every time uh, – I feel so bad for my partner. We were in the airport – we were in uh, an airport, and every time an ad came on for, like, anti-trafficking, see something, say something, <laughs> yeah. I would just very loudly be like, fuck this ad um, and they did not <laughs> they don't mind just after the fact that it comes on like every 20 minutes they were like how long is this layover <laughs> um is there a different gate we can go to <laughs> let's go to the everywhere. mcdonald's gate yes. and then you go to the bathroom and close the door and you're like no it followed me you can't be around me and not know my values on that. And so yeah. if that really bothers you, most people are going to remove themselves sure. from the situation. And, you know, one of the things I've been doing, especially over the last couple years, is having really different conversations with people in the anti-trafficking field mm-hmm. that actually are about sitting down and saying, like, we deeply disagree on the Nordic model. Sure. On the equality model and the criminali- criminalization of clients and third parties. Let's still actually have a conversation yeah. and see what's there. You know, maybe we actually do share the same end goal mm-hmm. where like, let's, yeah, let's envision a world where no one is ever forced to trade sex when they don't want to. Right. For no one is that their only option for survival. I can actually, I can get behind that. No one should, Mm. I, you know, we need to think of a world beyond poverty, beyond, you know, 
working at all for your yeah. basic necessities. I would love it if if the sex industry was full of people who wanted uh who felt like the second they didn't want to do something, they could say no. That's yeah. what I want. And I I feel like I'm generally even with those folks you know, some people don't actually believe that. They just think that there is no way to yeah. participate. And and honestly, those are like mostly straight white women. So I don't really fuck with them anyway. But I think there's a lot of people that say, you know, that feels so far off. That feels so utopian yeah. that I can't even spend time thinking about that. And the things that I want now, the change that I want to see now is something where I see you know, expansion of services and policing of clients as part of <coughs> the change. Oh, <laughs> <coughs> Can anyone else relate? Okay. So oh. all too much too fast. <laughs> On a pineapple, though. Okay. <laughs> um, no, and, and, you know, the disagreements are different. Mm -hmm. and and I And having conversations with those people about, like, what do we agree on? Where do we diverge? And why Why do you feel differently than me on this? And I genuinely want to know why you feel that. And especially, you know, it's one thing if people, and, and I don't really talk to people who are so removed from the conversation. Yeah. When I say the people that I'm willing to engage with, I'm generally talking about people with lived experience who do some kind of direct services. Yeah. And that proximity is really powerful because at the end of the day, that means we have probably a shared experience that's closer than someone who's never done this who believes whatever about the sex yeah. industry i mean someone gave me the idea of like you reach forward and behind like 15 percent mm -hmm. don't try to reach back to that person who's so far removed from where you are it doesn't mean you're giving up but like the, the person 15 percent behind you if they reach behind 15 percent, they actually might be having engaging that person pull them a little forward totally yeah and that was we're all ripping our fucking hair out yeah and at the idea uh, and then at the end every conversation is centered on the people impacted by it mm. shared experience does not mean shared framework sure. at all and you know there are full service sex workers out there who are viciously racist absolutely homophobic desperately transphobic very pro-criminalization because they yeah. know who criminalization affects yeah I don't really fuck with them either. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and we we don't we definitely don't agree. And you know, recognizing that I have more in common with someone who does direct services okay. and still believes in the Nordic model, but at the end of the day pr actually pr does prioritize support, I probably have a lot in common with that person and I definitely have a lot more in common with someone who is openly racist and works in the sex industry mm -hmm. and is hardcore pro-capitalist. Like, I don't, I do not have th that much in yeah. common with that person, especially when I think about the things that I've done that I actually want to inform my identity and my values. Cause like, mm -hmm. we've all worked at jobs with a lot of different people. Mm -hmm. And just because you did the same job for a period of time doesn't mean you share values. Yeah. And so, if I'm sharing values of like, no, you believe that everyone in the sex trade should have as many options and as many resources as possible, that and and we can actually talk about the places that we disagree mm -hmm. on from a space of, you know, I help me understand why, and if you're willing to offer that to me, then I've been spending um, 
more time than I thought I would actually developing those relationships and, Mm -hmm. and just coming to a different place of we are in this together. Yeah. Even if we do have places of non-alignment and even if those are significant places of non-alignment, I still believe that you are not disposable either. Mm. And, and I want, and, and this does affect you. I'm not going to put myself Mm. in a situation where as a hobby, I, I'm, I'm not an emotional masochist. Yeah. And so I'm not going to get anything of value from this. Especially with some stranger from Twitter. Seriously. Yeah. Yeah. Which, which would bring me to, it's like right now we're having this conversation, uh, a conversation that previously you didn't think uh, would be that. So, I mean, I don't know how much you remember from when I had first reached out, but would you care to share maybe a little bit of like that evolution of like why I'm allowed to be here on your couch? (laughs) Yeah. Um, I believe it was you reached out and sent a very nice message. And I was really put off by the terminology. And and part of it is like, you know, where we are in time and space. I feel very strongly that the reclamation of language can only happen Mm -hmm. by people who that language is weaponized against. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, seeing someone use that word and capitalize on on terminology, which like has been and still is often weaponized against me feels really frustrating and it feels it and and lands a lot of different ways and just so we're clear so for the listeners like is the the title of this podcast yeah it was particularly yeah yeah and you know it was and i think the obviously like we get older we only have so many fucks to give sometimes. We pick our battles. But at the end of the day, it was actually, it was the fact that I was really frustrated towards you, which, you know, the internet and DMs are always really difficult to gauge. And especially because I'm very direct in my language. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes that gets read a lot more aggressively than I intended. And my intention and my impact are not the same thing. You know, figuring out the right way to say something is is a process. And so I was really straightforward. I probably was yep. very harsh. And you know, I think you you were first questioning me like, "Have you done sex work?" Was the I think was like one of the initial questions asked. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which, you know, I I don't know if that was the I, it probably was not the right way to handle. It. I I'm a hundred percent certain mm-hmm. that I could have handled it differently and better and kinder. And you know, sometimes we approach people and they're in a space where they're like, "I just don't have." the emotional capacity to give right now to yeah. someone else. And and that was the space that I was coming from. And honestly, the reason why, like if, if, if you had asked to like do an interview in person like six months later, it probably would have been fine. Because I, I, the thing that I remember from it is that I was, I was harsh mm. and you took the feedback really gracefully. And... That I think is the most important thing for me is I, this was something I'm not okay with. This is something I'm, I'm uncomfortable with. Mm -hmm. And, you know, maybe if I would have had a different conversation, if you reached out like a week ago, but you gave and held space for that reaction and we continued to have conversations around it. And I think that is always going to be really important for me. And I definitely have had relationships with people and, and um, dialogues with people where they were 
harsh to me and I was harsh to them. And the fact that we still engaged with each other, always with respect, Mm -hmm. I think that is the most important thing in the world. Um, And that's what ultimately, I think for me, garners like, what are the who am I going to continue to respond to and who am I going to continue to engage with? Because at the end of the day, you, you and I have not had an interaction where that didn't feel respectful mm-hmm. for me. For me, that's just only after uh, plenty of times fucking up and uh, <laughs> not knowing how to engage in that type of a thing, you know, respectfully. Because, you know, if I had asked you one, two, three years prior, like, could I would have, I might have gone a little bit more self-righteous or railed or be like, you don't even yeah. know why the show's called this. Right. But like, totally. instead, like I, I've been trying to learn from my mistakes and they're like, all right, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna push. Yeah. And like, I still feel that way. I yeah. still am like, mm, I don't love it. And yeah. all right. And is it because of your perception of what or how much type of sex work I've done myself? Um, or is it just like the word horror in general? You just, not the biggest fan of i am not a huge fan of so i think the the word whore is weaponized against women and femmes and i think because of that i understand why um male and masculine identified folks opt into using that terminology Mm. i still see it as an opt-in and where that word is never necessarily going to be weaponized against you. Mm-hmm. Definitely not in the same way. Not in the same way. Because the show is called that because it was weaponized against me, but not in the same way at all. Not f- per my identity, uh, absent Billy, but because it was used against Billy specific. Mm-hmm. Um, origins of this show is I started the show talking like women I'd hooked up with about why we didn't work out. Um, cause I hate myself. And <laughs> are you thinking of some exes? Like I got some feedback for that motherfucker. No, uh, I'm thinking <laughs> you watched high fidelity too many times. <laughs> I had never seen this. Be- okay. This is the weird part. I, look, I'm born in 89. So I don't know where that puts me in high fidelity, but like I, people would say that to me for like the first couple of years. And I had no idea what they're talking about. Um, he's like, talk to six people. Like I, I feel like, I don't know. I've had more than that on the show. Uh, that's, it's not a competition, but, but the, the reason I did that was because, I always wanted a relationship. I wanted to love and cuddles and the, all that cute stuff. I'm that guy. I was never the like, let me slang my dick and just always try to get, you know, whatever. And so what would happen with me is every time I would get into somebody, they would always tell me they just want to keep it casual. Not, hey, we can't do this anymore because you like me, which is normally somebody says, I want to escalate. And everyone's like, no, someone's like, no. And then it's like, this doesn't work. But I would want to escalate. And they'd be like, no. But you still have to come over and do that thing with your tongue that I like, right? And that would happen over and over again. So when it happened for the umpteenth time, I was like, let's do this podcast idea. And some of them would like call me like a bit of a man whore, but only because I'd been slutty and done a lot of interesting things. I I was 22 and I'd already like been to a bukkake and done gone to a sex party, right? Because I was in New York City. We had Craigslist. I could experiment with my sexuality in that way. And I just mm-hmm. – um, so – the fact I was worried at the time of starting the podcast that I was too slutty to be lovable mm. and people would use that word for me. And when I was testing out titles, people liked it, but also I was like, it's my way of saying, uh, I'm going to be something that you're not expecting. Cause mm-hmm. if you hear me or a podcast, I think you think a more bro show than it is. Mm-hmm. 
I'm sure it's broier than I think it is, but it's not as broier as some. Most people who like you know look at my face and see the name, they go listen, and they're they tend to be a little surprised. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, so I can that, see that. Yeah. yeah, so that's that's the origin of 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 where that came from. But it's also it wasn't weaponized with me. It's like it just you know on a on a grander scale and on a systemic scale and everything like that. It was just is a little bit more personal. But I was very curious when you had first responded to me, I was like, gosh, I would have loved to I wish you would be down to do it because I would have loved to ha- hear her thoughts on that word and the usage, my usage, the usage of it at large. Um I mean I think and especially, you know, especially as I get older, um, and I have more, you know, professional mm. um but, you know, I was an activist for years and did panels contributed to a lot of stuff i faced a lot of um stigma a a very specific anti-sex work stigma Mm -hmm. and so the use of that whore uh, of the word whore was always one that was coming outside of like you know even you say it in community you say it to your friends but even like you say it in safer spaces yeah I still don't encounter the use of that term in big public spaces that are not so explicitly sex worker centered, but also femme sex worker centered Mm -hmm. that in any way feel safe and not like it's being um, used as a slur. Right. And so using that term in public space, I, I do feel like it sometimes gives permission to people who don't sit down and Mm -hmm. think about how do I actively undermine anti-sex work stigma every single day. And I never want those people to feel comfortable using it. And I think also, you know, when you affix a, like, man whore, Mm. like, that says this is a gendered word. This is a word about women. Mm -hmm. And it's a degrading term for specific women that is less and less used against me. And it's less and less a stigma that I directly experience because, you know, I'm older and I have these credentials behind where, um, you know, I have shit on my resume and there was a lot of times, um, and definitely, you know, back then when it was, I could not hear it out in a space that was not overwhelmingly sex worker centered and ever feel okay or safe. And, and with the rise of like, you know, pole dance culture and the appropriation of sex worker culture, the other place where I see it and I hear it all the time, like hustlers came out and all of a sudden everyone felt really comfortable using it. And, and a lot of people felt comfortable using it who had never sat down and actually analyzed and thought about the way that they contribute to anti-sex work Mm -hmm. stigma and the way that they'll use that term and be like, oh my God, I used to be such a whore before I was a mom. And I'm like, (laughs) no. No, girl, you were bo- broken slutty. Like, not, <laughs> not the same thing. And and you were probably shitty to your actual sex worker friends. Yeah. And you probably still are. And and so I think the use of that term really without that background of like, because I still like get all up in my feelings when I see shit on Instagram that has like that in the beautiful script on a pillow being advertised mm-hmm. as like a middle class, like comedic thing. And I go on and I comment and I'm like, I would, I want to know where the proceeds of this are going and are they, is it going to sex workers? Because yeah. if you're going to use this term, if anyone uses that term in a public way, capitalizes off of it, I should be able to very easily ask, 
What do you do every single day mm-hmm. to undermine anti-sex work stigma? And you better have an answer ready. And no one owns that word unless that's the folks who it's being used against. And it's actually, mm-hmm. it's so I, uh, H-O-H-E-A-O-U, I don't use that term anymore. The history of that word is so specific to black sex workers. Right. And I'm not black. I'm mixed race, fair skinned. And I do not experience anti-blackness. I mm-hmm. do not experience misogynoir. And and I used to use that term. And it was an amazing comrade, beautiful person who was like, hey, I just want to let you know, like, this is the history of the, that word. And I don't love when you used it. And she and I had, you know, shared experience. We were in the fight together. And I was like, oh, fuck. I've totally been appropriating an experience mm-hmm. that is very specific to black sex workers. That's not my term. Yeah. I can't. I can't use that. I can't appropriate that. I cannot disrespect that this term actually is not going to be weaponized against me mm. in in this specific racialized way. Yeah. And and whore is still weaponized in a in a way that I just don't believe that that folks outside of that get to appropriate that term. Correct me if I'm not translating this back uh, correctly. It's the idea of like, it's not that you're necessarily auto bad for saying the thing, but like when you hear it, you don't know where they stand as opposed to when you're at the book club, so to speak, you know, where everyone's fairly on board, you know, none of the, none of the whores hate the whores for, for the most part. Right. And then outside of the space, you're like, you hear it and then you're like, oh, what? Like, do I need to be defensive? Is there something unsafe nearby? Is this friendly person or not? We don't know. I don't know their politics. I don't know their experience. So if I if you shoot someone with that question, they better have an answer. Um, that was how I interpreted what you said, which yeah. which I like, and I do try to keep in mind because I had to remember like what spaces I'm in and who I'm around and which friends I can say which things to. I mean, I think yesterday I had to stop myself from saying one thing. I was like Billy, that joke, uh, this person, you're not familiar with them like that, okay? Uh, I mean, like uh, my guests on a recent episode, this cat Laquan who would be around my apartment a lot. I and, and everyone in the house at the time were, you know, people of color. And I think, yeah, and all were queer. And I was not any of those things. And I would get away with a lot more things in that apartment mm-hmm. because they all knew where I stood. Yes. Versus if I went to a house party they maybe bring me to, I can't speak as raw as I might back at the apartment because those people don't know me yet. Exactly. Yeah. Is that, did I repeat that back? I just blacked out. I think, did I say it right? (laughs) No, yes, totally. And so like, yeah, some of it's about identity and, and, and maybe that's been my evolution Mm -hmm. is I, I, I think it's fucked up that I said immediately, like, do you do sex work? Because that's not appropriate. Mm. That's been my evolution to say, hey, use this term. What are you doing to make sure that this term is not and that you're not pushing this term so that a lot of people feel comfortable using it? Because, yeah, the world is not a safe space for sex workers. So when I'm out in the world and I hear that term, there's a really good chance that that's a signifier for me that I'm in an unsafe space. Yeah. There's conversations that I'm like, we'll call each other X, Y, or Z because yeah. we're in my living room. And and let's not have them when we're in a space where someone else can hear that because maybe it'll m- make them misread the situation. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's how I feel 
kind of about the use of that word. And, and or maybe, even grant a permission structure yeah. for them to use, uh, be like, oh, well, I heard them saying this at the coffee shop, so I could say it now too. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And and you don't know who we are. You don't know like what the, the relationship is. Exactly, yeah. Like I have this shirt. Um, you know Andre Shakti? Yeah. So I bought one of her shirts that she used to sell. Uh, it says, this is what a sex worker mm-hmm. looks like. I was wearing it yesterday. I didn't wear it today because I didn't. I didn't know how you'd react. I didn't want you to think is he is he really virtue signaling that hard? So I wore a different sex shirt. Uh, <laughs> but like, so it's like when you have a shirt like that, say it's like, why are you wearing the shirt? Are you wearing it as a gag, or are you wearing it like like when I wear it? I like to make people think twice. Mm-hmm. I like to make people like, is that sincere? Someone yesterday was like, oh, I love shirts. Funny. I'm like, it's not a joke. What are you talking about? What? Did I make you uncomfortable just now? It's like, yeah. that, so it's like, why are you, why, you know, when I think about comedy, the, the white comics who just like insist on saying the N word, um, there's like, but I gotta be able, like, why, you, why do you need to use this in your joke? I, right. I have a joke yeah. I don't use anymore. Um, or because it doesn't fit with anything I do, but in it, I, I, I use that word because it's the title of Dick Gregory's book. I mm-hmm. mentioned the title and it's, it's a hard misdirect to get to a punchline. And I didn't write a joke trying to find a way to use this word on stage. I was trying to write a joke about Kindles <laughs> and it just ended up being what I, f- and it ended up working. Whereas in, I think there are these other guys who they're like, well, how can I figure out on this piece of paper how I can use this word and then like make it justified? It's like, what's your intention here? Mm -hmm. Like, are you just trying to shit kick? Or is there like a higher purpose going on? Definitely. Yeah. And, and, you know, I, I also just like want to be the first to say, like, I fuck up and I get it wrong all Mm -hmm. the time. And, you know, I, I try to think about it. I try to hear feedback. I try to be really self-reflective about the language that I use and when and where and why and how I respond when I see something where I'm like, that really bothers me. And so like being able to have these conversations and being like, I still don't love the name. And you heard the feedback and you're like a nice person and we're having a, a conversation that feels really good. And, and that, that is, it's not, not important. And and if I get stuck on the name, I get stuck on the name. And if if there's something where I'm like, you know what, that is actually just like a step too far, um, I'm gonna say no. Like that's totally legit, and that's yeah. completely okay too. And and maybe that's where I was, you know, six months after that. But I'm yeah. here now, and you're here now. Yeah. And and I think that that's the thing that that just humility and humanity yeah. are what I hope are becoming much more of the cornerstones of, of the way I move in the world. Kate, before we, before we wind down, you know, can I ask you some, um, some questions about like your sex work experience um, compared to now a little bit? Yeah. So, you know, is there something that you're kind of jealous of the current generation of sex workers that they have or have access to now that you didn't when you were maybe at the height of your working? Um, yes and no. Okay. Um, I feel like, Actually, no, no, and and not because I don't think that you know the explosion of this language and this dialogue and these narratives, like the idea that you can walk into a bookstore and go to a sex work section, right, is wild, and not just at Blue Stockings. Like you could go. Oh, Blue Stockings was formative. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so Um, happy they found a new space. Yeah, and and the fact that you can you can do that. And like the memoirs are important, but you can go, you can go by playing the whore. You can go by revolting prostitutes. You can put yourself in 
as political of a space as you want. You mm-hmm. can read about all of these other narratives that aren't just mostly like straight white women. Like finding Michelle T for me was eye opening. Michelle T. Yeah. Um, Rent Girl. T E A. T E A. Um, yeah, everyone go read Rent Girl. She has a new book out about, uh, getting pregnant. I can't wait to read. And she, queer, you know, sex work from San Francisco talks about it. Um, and so, you know, maybe there's, there's part of me that like is jealous of the amount of, of media and narrative out there that would have contextualized things. And I think being jealous of, of different generations and young people also, um, allows me to not acknowledge that they face a, a, a range of unique struggles that I never had to. Like what? Um, I mean, the, the ability to kind of be in the meat world, to be forgotten online, mm-hmm. to exist and to work in a way that didn't leave a digital footprint that involved facial recognition. I can't imagine how terrifying that is. And I don't think all of them know that there's facial recognition. Oh, that's so scary. <laughs> I always forget. Uh, yeah. You just reminded me. I might have um, to go delete a few things after this. <laughs> I was like, can I really have a photo out there of me pretending to fuck uh, an empty McDonald's thing of fries? Ooh, that's the facial right. Can we cop? Oops, I didn't think this one through. I mean, to be fair, so many of us put shit out there on Facebook. And back when it was like you had to have the .edu email, oh, no one saw that shit coming. Oh, wow. As much as I, I, I don't want to be jealous only because I want to say that seems like a really beautiful thing that is accessible now earlier when we were chatting you you mentioned um there were situations where i was like how the fuck did i you know survive that yeah. is there any particular experiences come to mind where you were like looking back i don't know why i'm alive it's to the point it's almost comical i mostly look back and the the there there are experiences that i feel that way about where i'm like oh thank god i'm okay and they usually stemmed from situations where I had a gut feeling mm-hmm. and I knew and I chose to override that gut feeling. And the thing about my gut is I've almost never been wrong. Yeah. When it came to the way that I worked. Sex work, spidey sense. Just you develop a thing. Um, and there's something, there's something off. There's something that, you know, and for different reasons, there were very specific moments in time where I overrode my gut. Mm. And I was never wrong that it was going to be a bad experience. But I walked away and I looked back. And I think the only regret that I have is I under, I remember every single time I overrode my gut. I remember the reasons why I did it. And they were generally external reasons that made me feel like I didn't really have a choice to say no. Like for the money? Or yeah, there were just circumstances. Okay. Um, my only deep regret is that my coping mechanism and my survival mechanism after that was not to say, girl, trust your gut every single fucking time. It's never worth it. And, you know, you learn that in time. You learn that it's actually not worth it not to trust your gut. And I think that's my only, like, looking back where I'm like, oh, fuck. And it's not that I had a gut feeling that was wrong. It's not that I understood that I was making an active decision to override that gut feeling. Because it helped me prepare. It helped me go into a situation being like, this is going to be bad. I, I just wish I had actually believed earlier 
that in the end, it's not worth it. Mm -hmm. Whatever, several hundred or even a couple grand. It's not worth a life, right? It's not worth your, you know, lack of uh, injury. Yeah, those are the moments of like, it's not worth it. And I'm I'm glad that, that, you know, I am, I got out safe and okay in the end. Mm. And I'm here today and I'm grateful and I am very, very lucky. And there were just some risks where it's like, don't put yourself on the line mm-hmm. in certain ways. And, and I wish that that was something that I had learned younger. Yeah. But alas, many of us make those mistakes when we're 23. Um, I oh, call them 23-year-old mistakes. Okay, is, uh, is there anything <laughs> else you want to leave listeners with, uh, whether it's about your advocacy work or any words of wisdom for uh, the, the, the sex workers hustling or um, possibly popping the pussy? Uh, Possibly. I don't know who uses to, that term. I'm going to have to fact check that I've, one. I've should have heard that once from someone, and I was like, all right, I've heard this. I need to I, – I, you hear a lot of terms. Sure. And Is there a particular favorite? I fight really hard to be like, I am not undermining anyone's use of the – I am only reflecting their language back to them in a mm-hmm. way that feels respectful, and I am bookmarking – that if I ever hear this again, and that's one that I just heard, and I was like, all right, bookmark that one. Sure. <laughs> um, no, I mean, I I love hustling. Hustling is my favorite term when it comes to this. And if I'm going to leave anything on the uh, – um, here's what I want to say. I have worked around the sex industry for a long-ass time now, and I've worked in – anti-violence and I've worked in harm reduction and I've worked in anti-trafficking and I have, I've worked in a lot of really, you know, I have to, I have to talk about criminalization and violence a lot more than I ever want to. And sometimes I feel like it actually minimizes so much. And I understand why, like I work on fucking laws. I work on bills. I work on anti-policing. I work on, you know, criminal legal reform and, and all that kind of stuff. I work in spaces of, of harm, trying to alleviate the harm a little bit. And the thing that I actually wish that from the beginning I talked about more is that sex worker community is one of the most beautiful, magical, amazing things in the world. Mm-hmm. And, and that is true when we are grieving together. That is true when we are supporting each other. That is true when we are figuring out fucking mutual aid because everyone's broke because they took down Backpage. I... I love it because I am rarely in spaces where every single person in that room is so committed to survival and life and resilience that every person has gone through a lot of shit and and dealt with it and come out the other side. And some people didn't come out the other side. Some people we remember and they are now our ancestors and we remember them and and still love them and and pray for them to bless our lives and every single space is situated in the idea that like a lot of things a lot of jobs don't work a lot of resources aren't there housing is fucking hard to get like health insurance is a beautiful glorious dream and retirement is not real and at the same time we do sex work because we still have a commitment to surviving and to living and to staying housed and to staying fed. We are not giving into 
any of the things that are compromising our survival and we take risks and we figure it out and we reduce the harm and we live and we move out of sex work and we move back into sex work and we move out of sex work and we go on with our lives and sometimes we erase that background but there's not a time where you're sitting around with sex workers where everyone in that room didn't wake up and say fuck everything that wants me dead i want to thrive i want to live and i'm gonna do it the way that works for me and fuck everything else fuck stigma fuck cops fuck not having another option and that's the most beautiful thing that i can imagine and that is not true in any of the other in in most of the other spaces that i'm in and so i have to sit i have to i don't know i talk a lot about the harm Mm. because i talk a lot about harm reduction and the thing that i wish i had always talked about more and the thing i i hope I never forget is that the harm is a byproduct of the commitment to living. And that is for me, the root of sex worker space, community identity. It is a space of joy and life. And that is, that's the root of it all. Let y'all live. Kate, this was wonderful. Thank you for agreeing to come on. Yeah, this is like awesome. the title of the show. <laughs> thanks <laughs> um, for thanks for your commitment to be like, I know you have feelings. Let's talk about your feelings and let's move on. That's that's what the show's <laughs> always been uh, is a lot of times been about. I'm just I don't care if you agree with like me, not like me, agree with me, not like let's have a converse an honest conversation and yeah. share what we're thinking. Um, you know, if people want to be following you uh, on the interwebs, especially on Twitter, I'm a big fan of your Twitter. <laughs> I, 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 if I had to pick any of your things, please go follow her Twitter. But where can people go to follow you in the work that you're doing? Um, Twitter's the best place to follow me. And, and I mean this very seriously. If you are a sex worker, if you are someone who wants to either look more into your own local laws, whether it's a city, the state level, want to kind of talk through plans around advocacy one of like the the most generative spaces in my life is like i love having those conversations Mm -hmm. i think that people who are impacted by these laws should not feel alienated by the process and the process is meant to be alienating and so like follow me on twitter i talk about uh policy i talk about stuff going on and if there's something coming up locally please do not hesitate to just send a dm and be like hey I want to talk to my city council about that. Can you hop on Zoom for an hour? And and that's one of the most um, exciting things that I get to do. And so I really, uh, I am I am very serious when I say don't hesitate. And the Twitter is? Uh, Kate Diadamo. It's super uh, creative. <laughs> well, I'll have the link in the show. At least you didn't have to do a the. Uh, I got some, <laughs> some fucking cock is sitting on at Billy Presida doing nothing with it. That's the worst. There's actually, there's one other person with my legal name and she, I, she and I like know each other. There was a third, but she was like 85 and died a couple years ago. So (laughs) you're like, "Mm, one more down. (laughs) Sleep with one eye open, girl. Uh, Kate, this was great. Why don't you go ahead and say goodbye to everybody? Thanks so much. Bye. I'm surprised I didn't end the episode like Mark Maron with like, Hey, we good? Or are we good now? <laughs> it was a joy to finally meet and uh, chat with Kate Diadamo. Again, follow her on Twitter at Kate D A D A M O. 
if she's ever on TV again, uh, tweet in. You got to watch. This is a pow, 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 pow. Big fan, big fan. <laughs> Were you a big fan? I'd love to know what you thought about this week's episode. You can send me an email with your comments, your questions, your criticisms to manhorpod at gmail.com. Or you can join our community. Hey, find community in our Discord server, The Champagne Room. Introduce yourself today and then let us know what you thought in the episode discussion channel at manhorpod.com slash discord. I hope by now you're following me on social media. I'm on Twitter at TheBillyPresida. I'm on Instagram at BillyIsPresida. All these links are in the show notes. I want to give a big thank you to Elizabeth and Nadine. Thanks for the recent shout-outs. Nadina was sharing her Stay Slutty button that she got for joining the Patreon, which, again, you can support the work I'm doing and be one of my patrons at patreon.com slash Podcast. Next week, I think longtime listeners are going to be uh, overjoyed because we do have one of my past hookups, a former flame, going back to the well and chatting with one of uh, you know the women from Billy's past next week on the Man Whore Podcast. But until then, everybody, arrivederci. Stay slutty. The Man Whore Podcast is sponsored by Audio Desires, an erotic audio platform dedicated to giving you the best oral sex you can have. With hundreds of sexy stories in three different languages and a sleek, user-friendly design, Audio Desires is the right fit to get you in the mood. Enjoy 50% off an annual membership or 20% off a monthly membership when you use promo code MANHOR at audiodesires.com.